0: This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards. If you're looking to unload your collection and maybe turn some of that old cardboard into cash, Greg Morris can help. Greg's always buying collections of vintage basketball, baseball, football, or hockey cards. If you have modern or ultra modern graded cards, he'll buy those as well. On top of all that, Greg takes cards on consignment. Go to gregmorriscards.com to sell them your cards, or you can email Joe at directly. What's up everyone this is episode 147 of the wax museum podcast where i talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future this is your host kyle and as always you guys can find me throughout the week on social media my instagram is at wax museum podcast and my twitter is at wax museum pc well uh have you guys seen some of the names that have signed nba contracts in the past week so we're talking guys like Urson Ilyasova, I think Brandon Knight. I just saw that one before I started recording. Lance Stevenson, C.J. Miles, the Big Three MVP Joe Johnson, who's forty years old by the way. Now uh, this is of course the result of the current COVID situation. And before I go any further today, I don't want to celebrate that aspect of it. So I, I hate unfortunately that you know we're still in this thing and that this stuff's happening. Um, but Commissioner Silver has pretty much said the league is going to keep moving full speed ahead. So it is what it is. And there's no doubt that the quality of play is likely going to suffer tremendously over the next month, probably the rest of the season, although I'm not even sure how this full speed ahead thing is going to work. But um, it's interesting seeing what players are emerging now that these teams are shorthanded. And I ask people on social media who they thought the most obscure signing would be. And there were a lot of good responses to that. Some teams are going the veteran route with the guys I mentioned a moment ago. My favorite response came from a collector named Josh who said, COVID out here allowing us to see our NBA 2K9 teams in real life. And then other teams are just signing warm bodies. I mean, the Mavericks literally signed a player named Charlie Brown. I've heard a few teams are even scouting Linus Van Pelt. I'll have to keep you updated on that. Uh, Now, I don't have to remind you that this is a card podcast, so you know my mind is always thinking in that way. And all of these moves have me longing for the days of the old school update sets. And you might remember many episodes ago where I pitched a Prism update set. I felt like that would be an easy way for Panini to capitalize on a popular product, and it could give us new cards for guys that haven't had one yet. And I know they do a version of this in Chronicles, but nothing close to what I would like to see. It's usually just a handful of stars that have changed places and a couple rookies that missed the cut the first time around. Um, I definitely don't expect Panini to get these new guys back in sets. I think that's you know super unrealistic. Um, but there are player collectors out there for guys like Joe Johnson and Ersan Ilyasova. So it looked like those guys would never play in the league again. And then here they are. So it's really exciting for those collectors uh, or collectors of those guys, I should say, And I'm happy for them. But the cherry on top, though, would be if they ended up in one last set as an active player in the process. Once again, you know, not likely. I know it takes a long time to build and produce a set, but we can always dream, right? All right. I've got a full show for you today that I'm excited to share as usual. Uh, This is around the time I would normally run through a mail day segment. I've moved that to YouTube for the week because I had a decent amount of stuff that came in, including a C shipment. So I wanted to give the mail the time it deserves. Check that out on YouTube if it interests you. Uh, it's really like a bonus episode this week, because I think if you put all the clips together, it's like 30 minutes worth of stuff. So um, check that out if you'd like. And then here in a few moments in today's main segment, I'm going to share a conversation I had with Zach, a.k.a. BDRR Sports Cards about what the card show scene kind of looks like nationwide. So you'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that. Okay, before I play that conversation for you though, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com Click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hi, this is Alan Siegel, the designer of the NBA logo, and now you're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. All right, so joining me today is a guest that I've had on before. And a lot of you really enjoyed that episode where we talked about message board history. That was episode 125. Uh, I'm happy to bring him back again. Zach, it was good to see you in person this past month in Tampa. How are things going? Good, Kyle.
1: Thanks for having me back. Tampa, Tampa was a lot of fun. It was good to see you. It was good to see uh, a lot of the Florida crowd again. Um, so I'm excited to be here and uh, talking to you again.
0: Now, you also went to, that was the second collector's con, and I did my recap on last week's episode. But you went to the first one as well. Uh, what were your impressions this time around?
1: So the Collectors Con crew uh, did a really uh, good job uh, getting the show started. Um, this is this is a show in its infancy. It's going to grow from show to show. And we definitely saw um, that increase in attendance, increase in personalities, definitely more money being spent um, it's a fantastic location. You know, it's 15 minutes from the airport. There's plenty of really nice hotels within a five-minute walk. You know, it's it's really a fantastic location. Um, so I, I feel like this is a show that's going to continue uh, to grow uh, into 2022 and beyond.
0: Yeah, and I, I think the thinking, too, was let's have it in December, and it becomes kind of a destination show. I don't know if that ended up being the case this time because maybe it hasn't been as cold as it has been in other years. But I think that's part of the thinking as well. Which, is, as a Floridian, it doesn't mean as much to me, but it probably means a lot more to people that are outside of the state. They've also
1: timed it really well uh, around the uh, the pro seasons because they've they've had some really impressive autograph guests mm-hmm. on the docket. Um, you know, some of those guys haven't you know had to cancel, but. You know, between the two shows, uh, Acuna, Wander Franco, Arizona, and Antonio Brown, like this is this is big time stuff for uh, for a new show. So uh, I'm I'm really excited to see uh, what they have for us going forward.
0: Yeah, I kind of regret, uh, even though um, it still gives me nightmares. I kind of regret not getting Larry Johnson the first time around when he was there, but uh, maybe maybe they'll bring him back in the future. Okay, so. Um, we went through your collecting history the first time that we chatted, and, and I mentioned that already. That was episode 125. A lot of people really enjoyed that one. Uh, we're going to talk more about the uh, card show scene today, and as you are a, a dealer that travels from shows to shows, you know, I, I kind of want to go back to your collecting history real quick and talk about when, whenever you started buying and selling at shows. I know this might be a little bit of overlap from our first chat, but can you tell us how long you've been buying and selling and then kind of run us through what your transition looked like?
1: Well, I've been doing this for for 25 years now. This, is, this year is my 25th anniversary. I started collecting in 1996. I think we talked about that last time. Um, but I started going to shows with my dad uh, shortly thereafter. There was a, a show in the Valley called the Airtel um, right next to the Van Nuys Airport. Uh, that was a really, really good show um, in the late 90s, uh, early 2000s. Um, but I didn't start really aggressively uh, buying and selling cards probably until about uh, 2013. Before then, it was just like the occasional flip to sort of you know, have some spending money for something you know, expensive I wanted to buy for myself. Um, and you know, that continued uh, through school, through grad school. Um, But after grad school, uh, I ended up in Washington, D.C. without a job. Mm. And so I turned to the one thing that I knew how to do, and I started flipping cards. And so for about two years, I was exclusively supporting myself uh, just buying and selling cards. And pre-COVID, pre-market bump, this this was not an easy thing to do. Right. Um, This is a very difficult thing to do from scratch. And if you're putting all that money into rent and food and health insurance, you're not really building the capital necessary uh, to become successful. Um, So after about two years of that, um, I got a job uh, that allowed me to continue doing cards on the side. And it started to just kind of snowball from there. Um, And then we had the pandemic hit and the bubble came and. Uh, I started to realize that I was probably making uh, more money on cards uh, than I was my actual job. So the side hustle became the job and the job
0: became the side hustle. Well, it's good that you were in a spot to where you could just make that switch.
1: Yeah, it's I, I'm very lucky. I have a uh, very flexible uh, job that I can, uh, I can uh, work from home. I can choose my own hours. So I can I can do Monday through Thursday and bill for Monday through Thursday and then go fly out to wherever to fly out for Friday
0: through Sunday. So um, you mentioned the kind of the the flying out and all that and um, setting up at shows. So um, now that you've been doing this for a little while, what all goes into preparation for a show? And I'm not just talking about one you know that you just hop in the car and drive thirty minutes to. That's kind of my perspective. So I I can't really. Way in here, but what goes into setting up at a bigger show? So to
1: set up at a bigger show, one of the big regional shows, you need to first decide uh, what your sort of cost in is going to be, because a lot of people uh, don't realize, you know, setting up at a a show is is not cheap. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, when people come up to your table and go, well, you know, you're not paying eBay fees. It's like, sure, I'm not paying eBay fees, but uh, I'm paying hotel costs, I'm paying table costs, I'm paying showcase rental costs. I'm paying for, you know, food and other incidentals. And at the end of the day, it actually would have been cheaper for me to stay at home and sell cards on eBay in my underwear. But- To a bigger um,
0: audience too.
1: Yeah, and to a bigger audience. Um, so you need to decide what your cost in is, is going to be. Um, so you can buy your own showcases and you can drive. And a lot of people do do that. They, they do drive eight to 12 hours to go to a show so that they can save money on airfare, save money on those showcase rentals. And, you know, that adds up because, you know, a typical show is going to charge you about 50 bucks a showcase. So if you have two tables, that's eight showcases, that's $400 just on showcases, you know, 300 to $400 on airfare. So that's, that's almost a thousand dollars that you can save just by driving. Um, I don't do that. Um, at the end of the day uh, in the current market, like I don't think that it's really worth it. Um, you're, gonna, you're gonna make enough probably uh, mm-hmm. to, to cover that and it's just it is such a hassle. So you know really what show prep looks like is you start a week out. You know once you have your hotel booked, your table booked, you know, about a week before the show, you want to start pricing, you want to make sure that your stuff is up to date, or at least that you have a ballpark. Mm -hmm. Um, And then usually the day before the show, um, I will set up uh, my showcases. So I will organize everything, uh, you know, into the rows, you know, so a standard showcase will fit uh, between six and eight slabs across, and I'm and six going down, depends on how much overlap you want going across. Um, and then for one touches, you can get eight across without any overlap. So you set that up beforehand and then you can just roll into the show Friday morning, Thursday afternoon, wherever the case may be, and just be set up in 30 minutes.
0: And, and also I'm going to cut in here just because I have seen your showcases in person um, I appreciate the fact that it's they're not all piled one on the other. Like I could see every one of your cards in that case, and then also there were prices on every one. Um, and that seems to be kind of an anomaly now in these days. So I just want to say as a from a buyer's perspective, I really appreciate that. Thank you. I,
1: I, I try. I mean, there's there's differing philosophies, I think, for people. A lot of people actually do have their cards priced, but they put the prices on the back for reasons I can't understand. <laughs> um, I think what it comes down to is that people have different theories on uh, getting people's attention. So, for example, you know, if I have a card that is, say, two thousand um, dollars, you know, if someone just sees it as a two thousand dollar price tag they might just like not even ask about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whereas if it doesn't have a price tag on it and they think it's cool, they're at least going to ask about it. And once they ask about it, you know, maybe you have them on the hook for a trade or a negotiation. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, other people will literally tell five people five different prices on the same card uh, just based on what they think they can get out of that particular person, which is not something uh, that I appreciate because, you know, as someone walking around with a dealer badge, you know, usually I'm getting the the high end of the price because they think I have an angle,
0: mm-hmm.
1: which I do, but that's besides the point.
0: <laughs> I know also there are some other times where I, you know, there's kind of a, a dealer price where people kind of go the other way, where it's like, there's this mutual understanding that we're both dealers. If you bundle enough stuff together, you know, I'll leave some room on it for you if you want to go and flip them. But Um, that does, you know, that doesn't always happen. It depends. It
1: depends on the seller. Um, because don't forget the most important thing about these shows is that not all sellers are dealers. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, there's a, at any given show, you're probably going to have, uh, maybe 60% of the people there will be dealers and 40% of the people there will be a combination of hobbyists, part-timers, or just collectors. And, uh, you know, based on uh, what your you know, level of activity is, and what your profit motive is, uh, you're probably uh, treating people a little bit differently.
0: That's true. Um, is there anything else that you want to mention for show prep before we move on and kind of start getting into some more shows in the current landscape specifically?
1: Uh, Yeah, um, I I actually would say the most important thing about show prep right now is getting your shots. Uh, I'm actually sitting here right now. I just got back from Walgreens. I've got my COVID booster in one arm and my flu shot in the other. Um, You got to keep in mind that these shows, you're coming in contact probably with 20,000 people over the weekend. Um, You know, no one, usually these shows are in places where no one's masking because why would you want to? So it's just be safe. Um, you know this community. We've lost people over the past year and a half. Like we mm-hmm. have, we've lost good people. Um, so you just you just don't want to get sick. You you just don't want to get sick, especially if you're doing a show every weekend. You don't want to get sick because you want to do the next show. Right. So for me, you know, it was it was just kind of an easy decision out of self interest.
0: Mm-hmm. So he, yeah, so self interest, other people. You know, you make your call what you want to do, but. Um, definitely, in my opinion, also is not a bad idea. Now, um, speaking of the pandemic, I can't speak for the rest of the country, but um, here in Florida, it seemed like the pandemic was definitely a major turning point for the card show scene. And Florida really played by a different set of rules where, you know, the rest of the country was shut down. Our governor determined that uh, professional wrestling was an essential business. So we were on different rules here. And the lack of shows kind of birthed the Clearwater show, which is one I've talked about on here a couple of times. And that was one of the first shows nationally to take place after everything shut down. And it was a pretty big deal. There were people flying down from other parts of the country just because they couldn't go anywhere else. Now that they don't go to that show now, but at the time they did. Um, And then that quickly changed because some of these other shows like Dallas and Wisconsin popped up. Uh, Maybe they weren't around before. Maybe they weren't as big of a deal. You know, we always had shows like the Chicago Spectacular, but um, it seems like overall things took a big jump um, now. And I just stay here locally, so I'm kind of, I've, you know, I'm kind of just looking from here and, and looking out. But as someone that travels, would you say that's an accurate assessment?
1: Yes, as absolutely an accurate assessment. The the show scene has changed completely over the past uh, two years. Uh, the existing big shows. Uh, New York, Boston, Philadelphia, Washington D.C., Chicago, San Francisco, and Houston—those were those were the big shows pre-COVID. And every single one of those, except for Houston, uh, was in a place where they did a, a full lockdown and ban on uh, public gatherings. So as things start opening up, um, you know, a lot of entrepreneurial card people saw an opportunity to start doing shows uh in other places in florida in texas uh in tennessee in georgia um so you have a lot of of new shows uh especially down south uh, Mm -hmm. where there were more uh relaxed uh restrictions um but you also see a change in the local show as well because uh, Los Angeles is one of the most interesting card scenes in the country. They're, they're as big a city as Los Angeles is. There There is no big card show uh, in Los Angeles. And what ended up happening instead was a bunch of tiny shows started opening up in Orange County, um, in Ventura County, in Santa Clarita. And uh, you could go to like a nice 60 table show almost every single weekend during the pandemic, which was a little bit crazy. Uh, you know, and you add in Burbank cards that obviously, and Los Angeles card scene was just exploding sort of under the radar.
0: And you'd think it'd be the other way around. You would think it'd be the other way around. Yeah. Um, so over time, I guess those shows started competing with one another and, You know, I've noticed if one show had a monster trade night event, then the next regional show, they adopted that as well. And as we've seen with, you know, the manufacturing side of cards, when there's healthy competition, some really good things can come from that. So now that these shows have been around for a little while, we more or less know what we're probably going to see when we go there or if we go there. Um, There might be some people weighing their options for 2022. Um, I believe you've been to the majority of the big ones as both a buyer and a seller, so you have a pretty good feel for the national card show scene. Um, So, if you don't mind, let's go ahead and run through it. I'm going to give you, you know, however much time you need here, and kind of set up my show schedule potentially for 2022.
1: Sure. So, in 2021, I probably did about 23 or 24 card shows. So, I was probably at a card show on average. Uh, every other week. And I was probably doing an average of three a month um, post June. Um, so the first thing we need to say is that there are lots of card shows of varying sizes. And, you know, they can be good at any size and they can be bad at any size. You know, right at the top, you have the national, which is a beast of its own. Mm-hmm. But then underneath the national, you have these uh, regional shows um, that are probably best described in terms of tables Um, they'll usually advertise themselves uh, as being somewhere between 300 and 600 tables Um, a good way to ballpark the number of unique dealers is just divide that number by two Um, you know there's a lot of dealers who take out four tables there's a lot of dealers who will have two people at the same table Um, but the average is probably about uh, two tables Uh, per dealer. So a 300 to 600 table show will have 150 to 300 unique dealers. So then below that, you have what I would call the semi-regional show. Uh, The semi-regional show is probably going to be between 150 and 200 tables, which would make it around 75 to 100 unique dealers. Um, There are a lot of shows like this, so I won't be naming them all. Um, There is a San Francisco show uh, next to the airport. There is a larger San Francisco show that I still think might qualify as a regional. Um, I haven't been to that one. Um, San Francisco used to be uh, the Cow Palace show, which was under the TriStar banner, um, but that one actually shut down, I think even before the pandemic was the last one of those. Um, so there, is a, there are one to two San Francisco semi-regional shows. There's a show in Anaheim, California. Um, there's Denver. Uh, There is uh, St. Louis, Missouri, and there's Detroit, Michigan are the big ones I know of. I think San Antonio also uh, has a has a good one, Um, maybe Miami and uh, Raleigh. I think I think that's about it for semi-regional. And then below semi-regional, you're going to sort of have your local hotel show uh, Mm -hmm. that might be anywhere from 25 to
0: 100 tables. And just to cut in here real quick, I get a lot of people ask me, hey, how do I find out about shows in my area? If you go on Google, like I, I'll just type in Florida sports card shows. And there's I think it's Sports Collectors Daily, one or Sports Collectors Digest. One of those sites, it'll be one of your first responses or your first results. And it, you can go through by state. And I'm sure it misses some here and there. But I found that ever since I've been going to shows, it's been a pretty good guide.
1: So that's an interesting point. Um, and funny enough, one of the interesting things that I've seen happen right now is that a lot of the new shows, um, a lot of the promoters are Instagram-based, and they don't do a lot of old-school advertising. So you can only find out about some of these shows via Instagram, which is a problem because you have to mm-hmm. know about them to find <laughs> out about them.
0: Right. Um,
1: and we're not just talking hotel shows. We're we're talking some of these 300 table shows are hidden on instagram and you need to do some research uh to to find them Um, and you know that also ends up you know playing to the character of the show because that's one of the interesting things is that these shows have distinct character based on how long they've been going on and who is promoting them um and you know again a 50 table hotel show could be really, really strong and have really, really high-end cards from really important dealers because they may live in the area. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the thing about regional versus local is, you know, the bigger these regional shows are, the more likely that larger dealers from farther away will make the trip to come out.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, you talked about some of the, you know, we worked our way from the national all the way down to the local hotel shows. Um, Let's go back and kind of touch on some of the regional shows. How would you characterize each of the major regional shows then if you had to?
1: So uh, right now, I think there are 16 uh, regional shows. This is up quite a bit um, from pre-COVID. So I'm going to just try and give you a rundown of uh, these shows and what to expect. Um, I have, in fact, personally been to most of these shows Uh, There are a couple that I haven't been to, um, so I will uh, give you a reputation. So I'm just going to work north to south, uh, east to west, so it's easier for me. Um, So we're actually going to start up up in Canada. I want to give a shout out to the uh, Toronto Sports Expo. This is a very big show uh, up in Canada, and our, our friends north of the border always have the best things to say about it. Uh, my understanding is that it's hockey heavy uh, and modern heavy, which is sort of what you'd expect. But right. uh, one day, I one day I hope to go up there and and uh, meet uh, you know a lot of the the Canadian uh, collectors who I have um, run into over the years. So starting down in the states, um, you have the uh, Boston Rich Altman show um, at Shriners Auditorium. It's in uh, Wilmington. Massachusetts about 30 minutes north of the city Um, it's a legacy show uh, so it is very heavy on vintage and sort of low to mid-end modern you're not going to see a ton of high-end modern cards Um, it's a baseball heavy show Uh, then we come down to New York there are two New York shows uh, White Plains uh, which is in Westchester County and then uh, Hofstra which is on Long Island the White Plains show just moved to a new location. Um, anytime a show moves to a new location, the character is going to change. I have not been to the new one. Um, the next show at the new location, I believe, is January 13th. Uh, so that is coming up, but is counter scheduled against Dallas. Hmm. Um, the New York show at White Plains has historically been medium on vintage and then medium really all levels of of modern, uh, low end uh, to high end. Um, It's going to be a basketball and baseball heavy show. Um, Hofstra is sort of White Plains light. Um, There is a lot of vintage there, Um, less high end modern uh, than White Plains um, but still a decent amount. Uh, Then we come down to Philadelphia. Philadelphia is another legacy show. Um, A medium amount of vintage Um, And then I would say a very good selection of low uh, to mid-end basketball um, and baseball, um, good amount of football. Um, There's definitely a good amount of high-end modern at this show, but not an overbearing amount. Um, Chantilly down in Washington, D.C. um, near the Dulles Airport is another legacy show on the East Coast. Um, That is a more mid-end show. There's not going to be a ton of very high end stuff there. Um, it is a football heavy show. Um, and I would describe that as medium on vintage and you know, sort of medium on modern. Uh, then we work our way down to uh, Nashville. Nashville is a new show. Um, it has a fantastic reputation um, as a place where tons of deals get done. Um, this is a high end modern show. There's some vintage. Um, I have not been to this one personally, but I hear that it is an absolute racket. Um, I really hope to check it out soon. Uh, we go down to Tampa. Uh, Tampa's show we've been talking about. Uh, Tampa is what I would describe as an Instagram show. Um, it is extremely heavy on modern and uh, mostly on uh, mid to high end. Uh, Atlanta, the Culture Con, uh, is uh, about 30 minutes outside of Atlanta. Uh, It's another Instagram show. And much like Tampa Bay, it's going to be extremely heavy on modern and heavy on mid to high end uh, basketball and football. Uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh is a legacy show. Um, It's heavy on vintage. um, And as you'd expect for Pittsburgh, it's then heavy on sort of low to mid end uh, baseball and football. Uh, Chicago uh, is a legacy show. It used to be the end all and be all of the regional shows to a certain extent, it still is. Chicago has everything uh, low to high end, uh, vintage and modern. Um, I would say that the selection the Chicago show is the closest to the national that you're going to get the regional show. Um, even if it's no longer uh, the largest uh, regional show. Uh, Moving south from there, you have uh, Dallas. Dallas is sort of the new center of the regional show uh, circuit. Uh, Right now they have them every two months, so there's six a year. Um, These other shows only happen between once and three times a year. Um, Dallas is an absolutely fantastic show um, as a new show, it's heavy on modern. Um, there is a small vintage presence and the modern you're going to find is really all four sports, uh, basketball, baseball, football. There's going to be hockey there. There's going to be soccer there. Uh, there's going to be uh, F1 there. Um, if you want it, it's going to be in Dallas. So this is a fantastic show, fantastic location. Um, I really uh, would advise checking this show out uh, if you can. Um, Houston TriStar Um, is another legacy show that's sort of the that's still a vintage heavy show and then low to mid end. um, It's probably a football heavy show. Um, Honestly, when I was there, I didn't feel like uh, there was a lot of action going on. Um, Houston TriStar is really known more for their autograph guests uh, than they are for uh, the card portions. And then moving uh, west from there, um, there are now shows in Las Vegas. Um, they're not put on by the same party all year. Uh, I'm going to my second Las Vegas show at the end of uh, January, which is actually being put on by IMG, the uh, the, the huge agency. Um, the previous one had been put on by uh, some locals Um, So the venue always seems to be different and the promoters always seem to be different, but it's Vegas. So it's never bad. Right. (laughs) Uh, And then uh, we got Wisconsin Dells. Wisconsin Dells is a a new show. It's an Instagram show. Um, It's in Wisconsin Dells, which is about 40 minutes north of Madison, an hour and a half uh, Northwest of Milwaukee about three and a half hours from Chicago. Uh, It's not easy to get to, you have to fly in somewhere and then drive. Uh, But this was a really, really nice venue um, with, you know, really, really well run. And uh, it's a great, great dealer selection if you can make it. Um, Wisconsin Dells ends up being sort of a, a dealer to dealer show where people in the industry end up doing a lot of deals with each other because not a lot of Actual retail buyers make the drive out there.
0: Yeah. Did it uh, have like a water park attached to it too? Yeah,
1: there's a water park. There's, you know, a whole entertainment center. Wisconsin Dells is like the Anaheim of Wisconsin. There's just, <laughs> it's not quite theme parks, but there's all sorts of entertainment complexes uh, up there and there's lots of hotels. Uh, it was a very interesting place to go to. Um, I would like to see this show succeed. Uh, if for no other reason, then the organizers are absolutely great people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it's kind of hard to get there. Um, and then uh, San Francisco, San Francisco used to be uh, a tri-star at the Cow Palace. Uh, that show ended even, I think, before COVID. Um, so there's now uh, two shows going on there. Um, that sort of combined were on the old schedule. One, I believe, is in a place called Fairfield, which is about halfway between San Francisco and Sacramento. Um, that's supposedly an absolutely incredible show. The California crowd uh, just absolutely goes crazy for this show. And then there's a second show that's right next to the San Francisco airport, a little bit smaller. Um, I was there earlier this year. That was a great show. You know, really, anytime there's a big card show in San Francisco, it's, it's going to be good. It's just, that's a, that's a card town. Um, so that, I think, very quickly uh, was the list. Um, I'll give a quick shout out to some semi-regional shows that I know do very well. Uh, there's a show in Raleigh, uh, North Carolina, um, that gets a good amount of traction in San Antonio, Texas, uh, Denver, Colorado, uh, St. Louis, Missouri and then Anaheim uh, for the uh, LA crowd. Um, so, you know, the really important thing is that, you know, it really doesn't matter how big the show is. It could be good, could be bad. Um, small shows will still draw huge dealers and big cars. You know, it just sort of depends on who lives where and what they got going on that weekend. Um, but there's there's a lot more options now. Uh, than there used to be. There's, there's probably a big show at least once every other week. Uh, so, you know, you can just pick a weekend and find one that's pretty close to you.
0: What are some of the more unique characteristics about that separate some of the shows from the others?
1: That's a really good question. Um, most of the shows probably uh, pretty similar. I think that the difference in characteristics has to come from mostly who is coming to those shows. So a show like Boston, uh, the Rich Altman show at Shriners, is is a legacy show. It's an older show. So you have a lot of vintage. Um, you have a lot of you know local dealers who have been doing it for twenty years. Where you know conversely, uh, Costa Cards and some other uh, people on uh, on Instagram, they've set up a new show, literally at the TV Garden. Mm-hmm. Like you go down the stadium, and the car shows at the stadium. Is
0: so that the and, Causeway you know, show.
1: Bit, Yeah, the Causeway show. So you know that's that's a show with a lot of high end modern because you've got the Instagram crowd there.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so next one of those is I think January eighth. I'm thinking I'm gonna fly up and check it out. I haven't been there yet, um, so that's an exciting new thing to for me. Um, but in terms of sort of like what's going on. Trade nights have definitely been something that's sort of like has to be adopted now.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, They're usually sponsored. Um, So whatnot or alt or one of the sort of, you know, new disruptive platforms will usually uh, sponsor and host the trade night. I think in terms of of innovation though, uh, I think, I think Tampa has to be uh, has to be mentioned here. Uh, just because the, they're trying to make it unique mm-hmm. at least you know the boat the boat was
0: <laughs> okay yeah really... so let, let's back up a little bit that was part of the first collector's con I think wasn't it called trade cruise
1: it was called the trade cruise and it was it was 150 people did you go were you on, on, on the cruise?
0: I was on the boat okay all right so tell us about the boat
1: well it, it's funny because it didn't have it didn't have uh what was intended to be because first of all it ended up raining so you know the intent was everyone's me on the top of the boat trading cards sailing through the bay so it was raining so we were all stuck inside um but I, I think the biggest mistake ended up being that um it had a really nice catered meal and open bar so no one showed up to trade cards everyone showed <laughs> up to to eat and and drink and there were far more uh, wives and girlfriends there than there were people with actual cards to move. Um, everyone was just sort of there to socialize, but it was still a, a, a ton of fun. Um, this last show, uh, they were actually originally intending on having the trade night uh, on the roof of one of the nearby hotels. So there was gonna be, it was going to be a trade night party on the roof. Um, and I think they ended up uh, going a different direction. Because they were afraid it was get rained on again,
0: right? And all the uh, all the whatnot breakers had already taken their shirts off, so they didn't want to get cold outside. I guess, right?
1: That was an interesting trade night. Uh, it was definitely Florida man. Definitely made an appearance.
0: <laughs> Several Florida men were there. Yes. Now you, I will say though, I saw your Instagram, you ended up at, and you, you must've walked to tables that I didn't go to. And I, and I did talk about that on my recap. I just, I literally just stayed in my chair. Uh, I was tired and, um, you walked around and I looked on your Instagram and said, I didn't see any of those cards there. You said, absolutely. You have to go to trade night. Um, so tell me a little bit about your trade night experience.
1: So trade night, for those of you who haven't been is just a card show after the card show like you, you think that it's just sort of people like talking to each other oh yeah I've got this you've got that oh yeah no um people show up as early as possible and they find a table and they put down their briefcase they open the briefcase and they take their cards out of the briefcase and they put it down on the table it's the same way a card show work and dealers will do it but also you know regular collectors will do it and then you either sit and you wait for people to walk up to you or you walk around and go find people with stuff and it just it's just another card show after the card show. Um, but it is, it is more uh, jovial. It is more relaxed. Um, you definitely get to see stuff you didn't at the show. It's great if you're a dealer because you can connect with other dealers who maybe didn't see your cards because they were sitting at their table or you were sitting at your table. Um, collectors are definitely uh, more interested in showing you what they have with them. Um, you know, because, you know, when you're walking around with a briefcase and you know, you're doing the whole thing, well, do I want to ask this guy if, if he wants to buy from me or not? You know, you're doing that whole thing. is like trying to trying to feel the guy out right. before you let him see what you have. Um, so, you know, at a train night, it's just like, oh, yeah, you know, thumb through, see what you've got. But I mean, really, that's that's what it is. Um, it's a
0: card show after the card show. All right. Well, it looks like uh, that was successful for you. I enjoyed it. I didn't end up coming away with much um, this particular trade night. The one at the national I did. So um, I, I think it's, you know, I have to modify my approach a little bit depending on where I'm at. Well, Zach, as usual, I enjoyed chatting with you and it was good talking all things card shows. Hopefully the listeners today got something that they can take away from this. I, I know I did as usual. I want to give you the chance to promote anything that Uh, You're looking for, give your social media handles if you want to give those, or even talk about just cards that you're looking for. Thank you so much for coming on. These next few moments here are yours.
1: Uh, Well, thank you again for having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Um, You know, I'll just shout out my Instagram account. It's BDRR underscore sports cards, just the letters, BDRR underscore sports cards. Um, I have started to post probably three to four cards a day um, either to show off what I'm collecting right now or things to, to move the account starting to, to grow uh, pretty fast, um, which is nice. Um, but more than that, I just want to thank everyone who comes to the card shows. Like, you know, card shows can happen because of all of you who continue to enjoy them. It keeps the hobby, um, you know, personal. It keeps the community a real community being able to go to these shows and put faces to usernames and form like actual friendships and relationships that go past, you know, Instagram or, or Facebook Messenger. Um, you know, the, the best part of all these shows is meeting people that I have known for 15 years and just never met in person. And, you know, people will come up to my table and go, I recognize this. right you must be Zach. And I'll just go, who the hell are you? <laughs> and they'll be like, Oh, I'm so-and-so. I'm like,
0: ah, what's up, man. Um, this
1: is, this is something that happens at least, at least once every other show. Um, so it's, it's really a lot of fun. Um, I, I really think that it's still the best thing in the hobby. Um, it's, it's the people like it's the people I'd rather buy and sell and, be around actual people than just be sitting in my chair.
0: Yeah. Cause you mentioned earlier, you could make more just being on eBay in your underwear, but that, that led me to believe there's gotta be a reason why he does this. And there you have it right there. So that's a good note to end on. Thanks Zach. I'm sure we'll be making more deals in the future. Uh, enjoyed having you on and I will talk to you soon.
1: All right. See you next time.
0: Alright, well there you have it. I want to thank Zach once again for coming on the show. Make sure to give him a follow and reach out to him if you enjoyed today's conversation. Maybe there was something we talked about today that resonated with you, or maybe you know about an up-and-coming show that we failed to mention. Let me know on social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle Podcast, or on Twitter under PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.